You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Do you ever wonder what happens in the hours and days after a COVID outbreak is identified as public health officials try to locate the source? Good evening, everyone. We're leading off here tonight with a serious setback for the province widely touted for its ability to quash the curve. New Brunswick is now putting the brakes on reopening after six new cases of COVID-19 in just a couple of days. The tracking and tracing that goes into these efforts are an all-out race against the virus. It's chaos, and it's necessary. But in that kind of haste, it's very much an imperfect science. Which is why public health officials tend to focus their discussion of the outbreak on number of cases, on where it happened, and not on who exactly is responsible. Because often they just don't know. But last year, in the midst of one of its biggest outbreaks of the pandemic, the Premier of New Brunswick did not get that memo. Our medical professional who traveled to Quebec for personal reason was not forthcoming about their reasons for travel upon returning to New Brunswick. And they did not self-isolate as a result. Now look, Campbellton, New Brunswick is not exactly a big city. And within hours after the Premier's news conference, it became clear that the health professional he was referring to was a local black doctor named Dr. Jean-Robert Ngola. Now, you'll notice that I said Dr. Ngola was the person the Premier was referring to, not the person actually proven to be responsible for the outbreak. But the word got out, and his picture got on the internet. And what do you suppose happened to that doctor in Campbellton, New Brunswick? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Judy Trin is a veteran journalist with CBC's The Fifth Estate, which has been following the story for over a year now, I guess. Hey, Judy? That's right, Jordan. It's been that time. (laughs) Time has no meaning anymore, really. But why don't we rewind all the way to May 2020 when, when this started? Just what happened in Campbellton, New Brunswick? Well, Campbellton, New Brunswick was coming off a high. At that point, they had gone for about two weeks without a case of COVID when all of a sudden an outbreak uh, appears in this uh, little town. Uh, It's a small town um, basically in the north of New Brunswick uh, across the Restigouche River from Quebec. And they had a smattering of cases, roughly three cases. And the premier gives a news conference on May 27th, and he basically blames the outbreak on an irresponsible medical professional. And at the time, and I realize this is asking you guys to kind of reconstruct uh, who knew what more than a year ago. At the time, what was the thinking um, from the premier's office? Sure, but also just in general, how was it covered? Well, when the premier gives a news conference and he he pinpoints the issue from an individual from an irresponsible health worker he, where everyone is assuming that because he is the premier he has done all this research he has the backing of public health they have a lot of info that we don't have um, so we we take him at his word 
all we know about this case is what the premier has said and also what has leaked out on the internet. But at that time, the leak on the internet had not been verified. But already, Dr. Jean-Robert Nagola's name was already leaked on local Facebook sites as the doctor who had tested positive, who was patient zero. Let's talk about uh, Dr. Angola for a moment before we get into sort of what happened next. You guys have spent a bunch of time with him reporting this story over the past year. What's he like? What's him and his family like? Dr. Jean-Robert Angola is a Congolese Canadian. He fled uh, the Republic of Congo during a time of uh, civil war. He loves being a doctor so much that he actually ended up getting accredited three times in three different countries. Hmm. So not only was he accredited to practice in Africa, he was accredited to practice in Belgium. And when he got to Canada, he once again went through med school and got another medical degree. This is how much he loves his profession. He also got his job in Camelton, New Brunswick, and he loves it there. He refers to himself as a, uh, a, he calls himself a Black Acadian. He says that the Hmm. locals, you know, welcomed him with open arms, that uh, that they became his friends, that he fly fishes with several of them, and that everyone knows who he is. He was really flabbergasted and shocked at the blowback that he received because he loved his community and he really thought his community loved him. So tell me about that blowback and maybe take me back to, you know, the days after the premier makes that claim and the rumor leaks on the internet. What happened to his world? It shattered. Jordan, if I can take you back, what we didn't know on May 27th was that his life was shattered within the period of one day. Actually, even shorter than that, six hours. On May 27th, he gets a call at 11 a.m. from public health uh, informing him that he had tested positive for COVID. He was shocked. He was worried about his patients. And uh, within a few minutes, he gets another call from a patient who also informs him uh, that he tested positive. So he had a conversation with this patient. Uh, And so he was doing his part in terms of figuring out uh, who he may have had contact with. And then within an hour of getting that notice from public health of his positive COVID test, he gets a call from his receptionist in his family doctor's office saying, Dr. Nagola, you won't believe it. Your name is on the internet. Your name is on Facebook. They've leaked your name. And he was already outed as patient zero one hour after he tested positive. Then at 2.30 that afternoon, the premier blames an irresponsible health worker. Mm. After that, the amount of vitriol on the internet skyrockets. Right. And so he's he's still dealing with that. He he doesn't see the um the social media postings yet. But what he does know is that by 4 p.m. he gets a call from his boss at uh, Vitality Health Network, informing him that he is being suspended, that he no longer has hospital privileges. You see, not only was he a family doctor, but because they were so short-staffed during COVID, he was helping out in the regional hospital inside that emergency room. Of course. So now he was no longer going to be able to work in the ER, 
and he was going to be suspended with pay. So he deals with that at approximately 4.30, 4 o'clock. And then at 5 p.m., he gets another call from public health telling him that his little daughter, his four-year-old daughter, had also tested positive for COVID. Man. So what was the reasoning behind the accusation? Uh, What has Jean Robert done? So we didn't really know what he had done because we had not talked to him personally for several weeks afterwards. Um, He did tell uh, Radio Canada, he called in on their morning program and said that he went to uh, Montreal overnight to pick up his daughter because of a family emergency. We wanted Dr. Ngola to retrace his steps for us. And we wanted to scrutinize his moves as well. We wanted to do our own contact tracing Mm -hmm. because it's one thing for an individual to say they aren't uh, patient zero, but we wanted to see for ourselves. And Dr. Angola agreed. He provided documentation and he provided access to uh, people he encountered. So we started piecing those pieces together. What happened was that on May 12th, he needed to pick up his daughter from Montreal because his estranged partner had a family emergency and needed to leave the country. And there was no one to take care of their child. So he was trying to figure out how he was going to do this. He knew that um, he was a uh, medical professional, but he knew that borders were closed. So he had called around. He called Quebec uh, health authorities. He called the uh, local RCMP detachments. And so he was given information that it was okay for him to cross because he was going for a short period of time. And uh, he was an essential health worker. And that's exactly what he did. He found the day, he crossed over after his shift was done. So after he finished a shift at the hospital, he drove overnight to Montreal. That's a nine-hour drive. Wow. He arrives in the early morning. He crashes on his uh, brother's couch, and his little daughter is staying with his brother at this point because her mother had left the country a couple days earlier. The next morning, they wake up. He takes his daughter and he puts her in the car and they begin their drive back. But what happens is that he was expected to have a meeting with uh, doctors in Trois-Rivières. So they were thinking of uh, inviting him to join their practice. He told us that he was going to have a phone conversation with them. But since Trois-Rivières was on the way, he decided that he could just uh, pull over and have a quick conversation uh, inside that doctor's office. He and his daughter get out of the vehicle. They go to this family medical clinic. He said he met with two doctors. They were wearing gloves. They were wearing masks and they were socially distanced. And they talked for roughly a half hour uh, about his interests and whether or not he would make the move to Quebec. After that, gets back in the car and they continue their drive into New Brunswick. They stop at one gas station uh, where he goes in and he gets uh, some water and some snacks and fills up on gas. And they're back in Hamilton uh, the next day, approximately 6 p.m. or so. And that's it. And then he puts his daughter in daycare the next day so he can continue going to work uh, at the hospital because he was only seeing his patients inside the clinic virtually at the time. He was seeing patients face-to-face inside the ER. The Big Story will be back 
in just a minute. So given what you've just described to me then, which is the work you guys did, do we know how the province came to the conclusion that he was patient zero, at least enough to essentially, even if not announce his name, to essentially single out this one quote-unquote irresponsible medical professional? Well, Jordan, when the premier makes that type of remark, you're assuming that he has a lot of evidence, right? But if you look at that time frame, only three hours had passed after uh, Dr. Angola was given that information that his test was positive to the point where the premier pinpoints uh, this doctor as patient zero. That's not enough time to do a full contact tracing. So what our investigation found was that there were so many other possibilities uh, for individuals who could have been the source of the outbreak that were not looked at at that time and couldn't have been looked at. For example, 10% of the staff who worked at the Campbellton Regional Hospital lived in Quebec, but would cross the river daily to work in the hospital. And then 20% of the patients who visited the ER where Dr. Angola was taking shifts were also from Quebec. And what is also interesting is that there, as I mentioned, there was a child who had tested positive. Mm -hmm. What the fifth estate found was that that child, a young boy, was at the same daycare as uh, Dr. Angola's daughter. So Dr. Angola's daughter found out that she tested positive at 5 p.m. on May 27th. So there's a question there. Did this boy in the daycare give uh, Dr. Angola's daughter COVID-19? And did the daughter then infect the doctor? Or did the doctor get it from the community in terms of all these individuals who were coming in from Quebec to seek care? It's an impossible task to actually pinpoint the source, yet the premier had made a very definitive comment as to who should be blamed. If there's no way to really determine who was patient zero, why did the premier say that? And why was Dr. Angola's name so quick to be singled out online as the source of this outbreak? Dr. Angola was the easy answer. And he was the simple answer. But he was also the wrong answer. Because if you look at it, the three cases at that time that uh, public health authorities knew about, they knew about a 90-year-old man who happened to be Dr. Angola's patient. And they also knew about a child who at that time, they probably would have known that uh, Dr. Angola's daughter, four-year-old daughter, was at the daycare the same time that four-year-old boy was. So who is at the nexus of all this? The doctor. But that's also a very simplistic answer, right? Because they had not looked at the other possibilities. They excluded the possibilities uh, that it could have been a contact from one of the patients uh, that he treated while in the ER, the many patients that crossed over from Quebec. They excluded the possibility that it could have been his interaction with other hospital staff who lived across the, the river. But because he was found to have been, to have taken this trip Uh, to Quebec. And because the borders were closed, it seemed like not only a, an easy answer, but a very cut and dry answer, but it's not 
the case at all, because this issue was not black and white at all. And because he was singled out, because there is this racialized component of it, Dr. Angola became the target of a lot of vitriol. If you can imagine, Jordan, after the premier's remarks, social media lights up. Mm-hmm. There are posts, not only uh, blaming him, but then all of a sudden people are publicizing his uh, address. There are calls to burn down his home. Then there is this utterly racist language. The post called for his lynching, for him to be dragged back across the river. (sighs) It was just an ugly, ugly display. You know, talking to the mayor after the fact, she says that the community feels shame for the ugly side and the racist side that they that they displayed their biases were on open display. And it was unchecked at that point because people were afraid and it just continued to grow. How did Dr. Angola deal with the vitriol and the threats? And, and was there a point at which people started to realize that this was a much more complicated issue? And, and when, you know, to your point, they realized that their internalized racism had gotten in the way of this. Well, how Dr. Angola dealt with it was he, he was planning to quit his job in Campbellton. He wanted to move to Quebec to be closer to his daughter, to see her more often. But what he was planning to do was quit at the end of the summer. He wanted to quit uh, in August. And he wanted to do this transition where he would be able to place his, his patients with other family doctors. But because there there was this level of threat against him, he decided to make the move to Quebec earlier. So he left without selling his home. He left without fully moving. He was fleeing for his life and he was fleeing for his daughter's safety. They spent several weeks while they were quarantining in the basement of their home. Because they were so scared that people, strangers, uh, would be knocking on their doors. And police were called. What is interesting to point out to you is that from court records, we find out from uh, the medical health officer that RCMP called her and said, we'd like to take a look at your investigation. We want to know what kind of contact tracing you've done. And she said, no. I'm not handing you any information because patients' privacy rights. But if you want to do something, you should check on Dr. Angola because I am worried for his safety. Please check on Dr. Angola. So the medical health officer wanted RCMP to be involved to check out his safety, not to conduct a criminal investigation. But yet that's what happened after the premier's remarks that the RCMP launched a criminal investigation. More than 20 officers from their major crime division, these are officers who usually investigate murders, they were put on this case looking for criminal negligence on the part of the doctor. And what happened? How long did it take? What did they find? Well, it took six weeks for them to decide that there was no criminal negligence, that there was no evidence to uh, link Dr. Angola. But what they did 
decide to do was charge him under the Provincial Emergency Measures Act. So that is the equivalent of um, a speeding ticket, basically, right? But it comes with the possibility of a $10,000 fine. And that would drag out for a year and wasn't resolved until just a couple of weeks ago. What happened to it? The Crown shows up in court and says, we're not proceeding with it. We are withdrawing the charge because there is no reasonable possibility of conviction. And the Crown said it was because they had new information, but they did not say what that new information was. And at that point, the lawyers for Dr. Angola said, well, it proves what we've been saying all along, that he was scapegoated, that this was a, a witch hunt, and we demand an unequivocal apology from the premier. Well, that brings me to the last question, which is a year later, all the charges are dropped. He's been cleared. What kinds of apologies has he gotten? First of all, will he get that apology from the premier? But also, you know, you mentioned his former town feels ashamed. Have they reached out to him? Have they apologized to him? Has he been given uh, the sorry that he deserves? Jordan, he hasn't. Um... I think community members have reached out to him. Some colleagues have reached out to him. He received a letter of support from 1,500 doctors from across Canada. But what he really wanted was he, he wanted an acknowledgement from the premier that his actions hurt the doctor, that his actions uh, wrongly implicated the doctor. No apology. Came. The premier was asked last week if he would apologize, given the circumstances, given that the charge was withdrawn. And the premier said no. <laughs> the premier says, at the time when I made uh, my comments, I did not name him. And that is true. He did not identify Dr. Angola by name. And he also says that at that time he did not know uh, that Dr. Angola was a uh, black man didn't know who he was. So he couldn't have been held responsible for the attacks that uh, Dr. Ngola faced. Dr. Ngola's defense team points out, okay, given the fact that you didn't know who he was, you didn't know his identity, but as the reporting came out, it was clear that Dr. Ngola was under attack. Why did the premier not say publicly in any way, you know, let's let's not attack this individual. Let's wait for the information to come out. Let's be rational. Instead, he remained silent while the attacks and the racism continued. And that is more damaging. And ultimately, in the end, Dr. Angola hopefully gets a new start away from all this. And a small Atlantic town has lost another family doctor. You know, the damage this has done goes beyond one man. As a black man, he has tried so hard to uh, fit in, to uh, be worthy of this country that uh, took him in, right? He, he, he got a whole new medical degree, right? He wanted to work here. He loves Canadians. And what he wonders is how much success, how much more does he have to prove himself? And that's what this has made him feel, that he constantly, that he, he can't escape 
the color of his skin, and that he is going to be judged because of the color of his skin, not because of any of the evidence that was presented. Judy, thank you so much for walking us through this. And it's a unique story, but the theme underneath it is pretty constant. It's my pleasure, Jordan. Judy Trin of The Fifth Estate on CBC. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. As always, write us an email. Tell us what you think. We read every one of them. I respond to every question, mostly. And of course, you can find us in your podcast players, in Apple, in Stitcher, in Google, in Spotify, in Amazon Music, on your favorite smart speaker, or any little indie podcast player you happen to prefer. If they let you, please remember to rate and review. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.